Welcome to SkyCast episode 18, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 5, episode 4, Pandora's Box. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Here there be monsters. Yes. <laughs> what did you think about this episode? I really liked it. Um, I will say, I feel like it was built up a little bit too much in terms of like how game-changing it would be. Um, yeah. Because nothing about this episode was particularly surprising to me. No, no. I think everything, the way that the show has laid out the dynamics of what's going on so far, it, it made a lot of sense the way yeah. that everything played out. And I wasn't surprised, per se, by anything. I mean, all of the um, reviewers were like, oh, it ends on such a cliffhanger. And, like, honestly, that wasn't a cliffhanger for the 100. You know what I mean? No, no. Like, we've had such worse cliffhangers than that. I was kind of like, eh. Just another episode, you right. know? We're going to war. Yeah. <laughs> Must Not, be a Tuesday. <laughs> Must be a day that ends in Y. Um, yeah, I really liked this episode, too. I don't think it's going to be my favorite of the season, but I mm-hmm. thought it was really strong, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, lots of really good stuff happened. It felt in many ways like we just had to get our our people out of the bunker. Like, this was an episode that was just like, we have to get them out, then the story can actually start. Yeah, it was like a connecting tissue episode. Yeah, it it feels like after this, we'll really kind of start getting into the meat of what this season's going to be about. But but I really did like it. That's not to say that I didn't like it. I enjoyed it. I liked seeing all of the reunions. And so, yeah. Okay, so before we dive into the recap, just a quick reminder again that we would really, really appreciate it if you guys could take a minute and rate and review us on iTunes. As always, it will help other fans of The 100 find us, um, and we would really appreciate it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank Go you. do it. Um, all right, let's jump into the recap. All righty. So as we saw at the end of episode one, Kane is in the fighting ring with Octavia watching passively above. Uh, Gaia says that the fighters all committed crimes against one crew and made themselves the enemy, but today one of them will get the chance to have their crimes forgiven. Gaia leads one crew in a prayer, and then the fighting begins. Before we get into anything of real significance, I just wanted to ask, is her red paint supposed to be makeup or is it supposed to be blood? I mean, I think it's supposed to look like blood, but I think it is akin to the makeup that the grounders wore in different shapes. Uh, you know, like the white makeup of Esgeta or like the the face paint of Tree Crew. Um, okay, I don't yeah. think it's really like blood. Also, blood is not that color. Like like actual blood. If you'd like painted it on yourself, it'd be like brown and gross. Um, so, no, I don't think it's <laughs> I don't think it's real blood. <laughs> it's just like she's not like using real blood. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, with Gaia being like, like the it, blood it, of your enemies you is know, your she's armor. She's like always kind of sticky. And so like the paint on her face is just like very sticky and I was like oh god I I honestly think it's basically the same paint I think you're right I think it's war paint I just am also like where did you get red war paint also blood would not be sticky once it dried it would just be gross and crackle well it's gross that you know so much about what dry blood looks like I think about this a lot um. <laughs> um, so clearly we see in this first scene this new religion um, has certainly progressed it it very much centers around honoring death and like the unity of one crew um, and I'm scared <laughs> yeah Gaia's um, ability to adapt to her circumstances and shape them to like her singular point of view which is like the religion of now one crew is really astonishing. Um, she's like a religious chameleon, and she just like takes in whatever is around her and uses it to her advantage. 
and it's terrifying because she's so good at it I mean and I I almost I don't consider Gaia to be manipulative in that way I don't think she would consider herself to be manipulative I think like you said like she takes in all of this stuff and I think she's adaptable in some way to like what her faith could be I think she like thinks the spirits are talking to her and like guiding her in this new direction and then she has to guide everyone else so I don't think she particularly sees it as like manipulating them if that makes any sense yeah even though we do (laughs) well yeah but I mean I also think that like a lot of powerful figures sort of think of themselves as like a conduit for like what the gods or whoever their deities are speaking through them but it is like a a way of compartmentalizing their own ambition for power and I think Gaia is really ambitious but she doesn't necessarily recognize that in herself because she is she is um she thinks that you know it's like the gods speaking to her like you said and I I think it's a a kind of an interesting psychology that she doesn't recognize that strength and that power that she has in her because I do think she is ambitious but she might not realize it that's a really good point and I can certainly yeah get behind that idea Gaia is a Slytherin (laughs) 100p Uh, The combatants all run for weapons, and Kane grabs a shield. As the combatants fight, Kane almost gets killed, but another guy kills Kane's attacker before she can strike the killing blow. Jackson runs up to Miller and asks where the hell Abby is, and uh, then we flash to Abby in a locked room, screaming that Kane doesn't deserve to die because she's the one who committed the crime. It's interesting to note right off the bat here um, that Kane grabs a defensive weapon. It's a shield, not like a sword or another kind of like predatory weapon. So we can see already that he is he's trying to, you know, save himself instead of attacking. Yeah, I mean, Kane's never been one for violence ever that we've seen him. Right. Um, and particularly that's like sets the mood for the rest of this episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I also wanted to call out Paige Turco's acting. Paige Turco plays Abby because I think... I just that that crack in her voice when she's pounding at the door and she says, you know, she's screaming um, that, you know, it was her who committed the crime. It was just her voice was so thick with emotion. And it reminded me a lot of the way that um, Clark's voice was thick with emotion last episode. You know, she's just conveying so much here. It's her fear and her regret at her choices that have led to the situation and her love for Kane and and her overwhelming guilt and you know that's a lot to put into two words or three words it was me (laughs) um and it was just really amazing acting I totally agree and I I wondered at this point what did you actually think Abby had done what crime did you think she committed I don't think I thought about it do you did you have a thought I did well my my initial thought was did she steal medicine and then I was like I hope not because that's that seems like very obvious and yet <laughs> yeah I think I had thought about maybe like now that I'm thinking about what was I thinking I think I had thought that it was something along the lines of like she had was like working with a group of people in sort of like a revolutionary capacity that would have been more interesting person I mean that's actually what I thought Kane had done at the end of last episode or maybe it was well we, we can two. talk about this later because I actually like brought that up in a little bit yeah I have a, th- I have a, th- I have a th- thoughts about that okay <laughs> um actually we can just talk about it now <laughs> I I was gonna ask you if we you know we've t- we talked about because the scene was in the trailer of Kane fighting in the pits, what could Kane have done that got him into the pits in the first place? Um, 
And I was going to ask you, would it, would we have rather see him do something to actually deserve being in the pits? Or is this satisfying that he's just taking the blame for Abby? Honestly, for me, I would rather have had him do something to deserve it. Um, I would have thought that was more interesting if he was like trying to overthrow her or whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, taking the blame for Abby... I don't know. I'm just, I'm very, and I, I'll talk about this at some point, but I'm confused about how Abby's just now getting caught stealing medicine. This is six years later. She's been addicted for six years. So like, I, I don't know. We can talk about it later, but I, I would have much preferred him having done something interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think having an active storyline and having this cul- be a culmination of him being proactive instead of being defensive again and like being protective of Abby there is something like kind of interesting in that like parallel between like his like ideology at this point anyway I don't know it does fit really well with the episode but I think from like a viewing point of view it was disappointing for me I just I'm so because I I also was you know very torn between what Kane did at the end of last season about saving Abby like I get it I obviously get it like you love her you can't like just carry her outside to die even though she wanted to here I'm still annoyed because I think she would prefer that she was the one who faced you know the the punishment than someone that she loves dying for her that's just like putting even more pain um and pressure on her shoulders when she's already having a really tough time and I just I don't know I I like get why Kane's doing it but I'm also annoyed that like just let Abby have her agency and do what she needs to do to protect her people, you know? Yeah, I I kind of agree. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Kane gets cut, and when he sees himself bleeding, his survival instincts kick in and he kills the guy. And then he keeps killing them over and over and over and over again. <laughs> like, like, I think you got him, buddy. It's okay. <laughs> uh, the crowd starts booing, and Indra realizes that Kane is losing them. Gaia asks the blood drainer if Kane has earned his freedom, and Octavia rules that he hasn't. He'll fight again tomorrow. Um, so seeing Kane lose control like this was really hard to watch, especially knowing what we know about him and how he views violence. Totally. And you can see the moment um, when he comes to clarity and realizes what he's done and what he's capable of. I think that is shocking to us and shocking to him. And he's horrified by what he's done. I do get it. I think when you get in that mode of protecting yourself – you kind of lose your super ego and I think he had a hard time coming back into his quote-unquote right minds at this point so he's still like in that protecting himself mode he doesn't even realize the guy really is dead I don't think it was like a punishing no guy. no I, I think you're right I think he would it was survival instincts as you said I mean he just his blood was rushing and he was he was trying to survive I do think that editing in this this there was like a weird cut here and it was very confusing and I wish they had done a better job, like explicitly showing us what exactly Kane did what, at the moment where the the crowd started booing. Like I couldn't figure out if it was because he was like mutilating the body or if because he held himself back from mutilating the body. For me, I think it was, and I'll talk about this too a little bit later, but we see at the end of episode one and in episode two that when people go into the ring, it's very much about getting the crowd on your side. So it's like showmanship almost. Yeah. And I think Kane here, he killed the guy. And then his weakness was him like unable to stop. 
mm-hmm. and that weakness was viewed as you're you're not it's like dishonoring death yeah you're dishonoring death and I think that didn't sit well with the crowd um he wasn't like pandering to the crowd he was just afraid and he was like lashing out because of that um so that's what I think happened but I agree we had to watch this several times because I could not figure out why he lost the crowd and like at what point he lost the crowd um but that's what I yeah kind of I like that at. interpretation let's go with that I also wanted to discuss I don't know if we've discussed it at all the one crew symbol no I don't think um, we have especially I, I I think it's a really interesting amalgamation of different symbols throughout the show I'm assuming Octavia put it together because you know part of it is very clearly the second dawn symbol um but the the you know shapes that are going downward stretching downward most of that is Lincoln's tattoo but the very top image inside the little triangle thing is a circle which I think I mean I'm not positive but I wonder if that relates to Ilian's tattoo the ones he had on his his forehead Mm -hmm. Um, just because Ilian was all too about I mean just like Lincoln was he was like I don't want to fight I want to I want us to have like peace and unity now clearly um that didn't really work out too well. No, but that idea has been corrupted. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea of Octavia honoring Ilian and his sacrifice in the same way that she's honoring Lincoln's sacrifice. Yeah, I like that too. So I hope that's the case, and I just didn't, you know, pull that out of thin air. <laughs> yeah, it would it would be really interesting to know, like, hear from the design team about that. Yeah. I hope they, like, do a behind-the-scenes feature about that That would be point. really cool. Bellamy and Dioza sit across the fire from each other. Over the radio, Zeke confirms that space crew has blocked remote access to the cryopods. Bellamy says Dioza's people will be fine as long as he and Dioza can make a deal. Then he asks for their help opening the bunker, and after that, he'll let her people go and they'll split the valley down the middle. He's hopeful they can find a way to coexist. Dioza says that threatening 283 of her people is a hell of a way to start a friendship, and Bellamy asks again if they have a deal. I think Bellamy's disposition in this scene is really interesting. You know, he's so cool-headed and he's very confident in his plan. This is like a very logical, relaxed almost Bellamy. Um, It's very different from Bellamy 1.0 who was very rash and emotional. And this is a very cool and breezy Bellamy. Yeah, conversely, it is very different from Bellamy 1.0. Bellamy 2.0 with his like new head heart persona is so much more naive than Bellamy 1.0 and it it honestly is a little irritating to me just given everything that he's been through I mean I I I just think like do you really think given everything that's happened in the past well I guess it was like six years ago but everything that's happened when you were on the ground do you think that you can find a way to coexist you can't we've seen it many times and I like that Dioza is the one to point out that you know this is a major flaw in your plan Bellamy like do you think that we can be happy living together? And I do like the line that he gives her back, which is like, whether you're happy is on you. I mean, that sounds really wise and like very like fatherly and like patriarch, not patriarchal in the way of like a patriarchy. I know, yeah, I know what but, you mean. You know, very like grandfatherly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is honestly really naive. I mean, it's just, it's just optimistic to the point of foolishness after everything that you've gone through yeah I mean if they're not happy Bellamy it's also on you because you have to deal with it right there will be consequences they have guns um but I I really just think that 
this scene was a little bit less interesting to me than seeing um, Dioza and Clark square off because Bellamy, he just doesn't match wits with Dioza in the same way that Clark does. He, like you said, is very cool headed, very confident, but he is not cunning in any way, shape or form. No. Not that he's not smart, but he's just not cunning in that way. Yeah. And so it, it's just a little bit more bland to watch those two. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to be, you know, like, yeah, it's intentional. Um, also, <laughs> it's really, really, really lucky that the Allegius crew just so happened to be miners with the equipment needed to dig out the bunker because that's the only way they were going to get the bunker out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, thank God. Thank, thank God, God they came back to Earth. <laughs> but we, I mean, like, that's the whole setup of. Well, I know. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's, it's really, like, convenient that they came back right at this time just when they needed miners, you know. I mean, it's fine. Hand wavy. It's fine. I, I don't blame the show no but the show ha- there are some mechanics of show show of show telling storytelling in the show that you like just have to be like yes yeah. th- these are the seams this is the way that it works <laughs> uh clark is lying down when she sees bellamy come in they stare at each other for a moment and then they hug clark can't believe he's really here bellamy assures her that maddie is safe and clark can't believe that all of sky crew is still alive bellamy tells clark that she saved them all and now as clark says they're all home then Bellamy reveals he's made a deal with Dioza. The Allegius crew are going to help them open the bunker. Okay, so just like forgive my fangirling for a second, but this was the most extra hug <laughs> of extra hugs of all time. I mean, he like caresses her. He like pulls her into his lap. His hand is like trailing down her back. There's this like wide lens shot of his hand on her hips. It was just, it was a lot. It was it, a lot. It, it was, it was, so much that it it was like a, a a bright shiny neon sign being like Bellark. Bellark. <laughs> I I mean, we've seen a lot of quote unquote Bellark moments throughout the last four plus seasons. Um this was the very first Bellark moment that felt intentionally sexy to me. Yes. I think I mean like part of it was just because Clark was wearing um that tank top like, so she, there was like a thing. lot of bare skin and but there was like a cl- I mean like and the close the up on like his, his hand, hand like going down her back. I mean like I'm not just this isn't just wish fulfillment guys. Like these are technical. I mean like every single shot of a TV show has to be directed um and the, like all of these choices are intentional. You can't just say say like oh yeah, they just wanted to show that he like was hugging her. Like <laughs> no no no. It, the camera like like pans down his hand as it's going down like it's very intentional and as you said it was sexy and it was sexy on purpose yeah um I also loved that the writers even the writers forget about Harper because Clark was like oh my gosh you're all still alive and then she named Raven Monty and Murphy and Bellamy is like yeah and Amori and Echo. right no, no Harper Harper. <laughs> Harper does not exist in show problem when you can't remember your own <laughs> friends. Like, she's irrelevant to everybody. I want more for you, Harper. You deserve more. Uh, you deserve to be written better. Just putting this right just here. Just, like, waiting for this to happen. And I'm hoping, like, we've seen, I think, some hints that we're, she's going in a direction that we'd like more. But we haven't seen enough of her to really tell. So no. we'll, we'll keep we'll keep a, a gonna, posted on it. We're going to put a pin in that. Yeah. Um, I also really liked in this scene that like Clark's like, what about Maddie? And Bella's like, oh, I have a plan for Maddie. You know, she's safe. <laughs> and they're like already co-parenting. And I, I just it's great. <laughs> um, totally agree. Uh, Bellamy dad for the win. Clark was already the mom. So that wasn't, you know, a question. Um, 
I just one tiny note. I really love the way Bellamy phrases um, his deal with Gioza as opening the bunker, because like logically you would say like dig out the bunker or like something like that. But like opening the bunker very clearly parallels to Pandora's box. Like I think that was a very conscious choice to use the word open. Yeah, I really like that. Um, so good on you, writers. Good on nicely you. done. <laughs> Murphy comes into the bridge and tells Raven that the prisoners are still asleep. Raven then Raven explains to Murphy that he doesn't have to check on them. She can still see their status from the bridge. Now Raven is trying to figure out who they're dealing with, and she pulls up Dioza's file. Once a Navy SEAL, Dioza went AWOL after an IED explosion and became a terrorist working for the United Liberation Army. At the time of her arrest, she was the most wanted woman in the world, to which Murphy points out is great since they're now threatening her people. I feel like in this scene, as in most scenes, Murphy is us. He just wants to know what the hell happened to Dioza, and what a great question that is. I mean, I have been fascinated with her this whole season, and I was really excited to get this tiny, itty-bitty little bit of backstory. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me that she's a Navy SEAL, or was a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Uh, but I'm obviously more interested in why she went AWOL, um, especially... When they specifically said it was after an IED explosion. Mm -hmm. Like, what about that explosion led to her becoming a terrorist, working for this terrorist organization? And by the way, what the hell is the United Liberation Army? What are they fighting for, you know? I don't know. And that also is... It, it is also similar to the fact that the publications that we see on the screen have... You know, they're like... Rem remnants of like the the major publications that we know today but they've changed it's the new york times sorry the new york liberty times instead of the new york times and then the chicago herald news instead of the chicago tribune mm -hmm. um so that's just a really interesting change that they've made and i'm sure it's significant but i don't know if it's because you know these are ultimately private companies that have been bought and renamed or if it's because there was like a significant regime change in the United States that led to like the word liberty being used um in in a way like in in contrast to like the idea of terrorism yeah I mean I'm not convinced that it's significant I think it could just be they can't use like a trademarked like New York Times name so they have to make up their own um but I'm also not convinced that it's not significant in that way or just like a, a hint that Things are not, like, where they left the world is not where we are right now. Right. Um, and, yeah, I, I really, I just really am curious about what Dioza was fighting for yeah. um, and what had happened She's at that point. She's just a fascinating character. She really is. And I can't wait to get more of her backstory. Mm -hmm. I hope we do. They hear Bellamy's voice over the radio, and he tells them they've reached a deal with Dioza's people. Bellamy orders that if anyone tries to get around Raven's security or do anything that wasn't agreed on, she's to pull the plug. Also, if he doesn't check in every hour, she is to pull the plug. Then he tells them that someone wants to say hello, and of course, it's Clark. Raven and Murphy can't believe she's alive, and Raven finally gets the chance to thank her for saving them. I loved this scene so much. These, uh, Raven and Murphy were the two reunions, aside from Bellark, that I was most excited to see, the Raven Murphy Clark reunion, um, just because the three of them have a very interesting history in many ways, um, and it did not disappoint. I absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, it was beautiful. And it also produced one of the greatest lines in the entire episode, nay series, <laughs> when Murphy realizes that they're listening into the radio and is like, it's nice to meet you. We're not bad people. I thought I was going to die. Um, and then Bellamy's subsequent directions to have Raven keep Murphy away from the radio. It was it was like sitcom level humor dialogue yeah. here. And it was beautifully done and the delivery was perfect it, it was, was so good I have been laughing about this for like a week <laughs> we've been like repeating it to each other like over and over again I, I just think it's the funniest thing I've ever heard it's also especially funny coming from Murphy you know yeah yeah if it was coming from Monty that's one thing but <laughs> oh my god um I'm also just really really glad that Raven got to say what's very clearly been bothering her for the last six years that you know Clark saved them and she never got the chance to thank her and she takes that time like immediately like before you go I just want to say like in case I don't get to say it again thank you for saving us we really appreciate it right and in, and you know we see she is caught up in this reunion but it's the fact that that's like the first thing that she yeah. has to say to her proves how prevalent that is always the forefront mm -hmm. of her mind I mean I think she's been living with this guilt for six years and it was just a relief to get that all out of the way <laughs> yeah I mean Bellamy and Raven that is like among the first words that they say to Clark is thanks for saving us or yeah. like you saved us yeah um so yeah glad that that is taken care of yeah. and we can Check. move on I also loved 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 Murphy's face when he realized that Clark was alive his just like little grin just like well I'll be damned kind I mean, of thing he's just elated yeah I mean he's just he's just so pleasantly surprised like Excellent. <laughs> I knew you could do it. Um, so, like, the best – I mean, honestly, I love this almost as much as the Bellarg reunion. I really do. Yeah, it's, like, tied. Like, it is a shade less <laughs> just because, but it's real close. Yeah. Um, so, I think, overall, their idea to pull the plug on the prisoners – is a dumb idea and let me tell you why oh please do <laughs> I I just I think that they should have started out small like like instead of saying if they do anything against us kill all the prisoners it should be like kill one prisoner or kill 10 prisoners because it makes no sense to kill all of them and then what you have no leverage left right you just you get one shot but you have 300 shots here yeah so, well, 283. Sorry, excuse, excuse me. me. <laughs> um, so I just, if Clark were here, this would not have been the plan. No. Um, I guess Clark is there now, but she's not in charge of this leverage plan. But I don't know. I just, it is not a smart plan. And it's like obviously not smart, you well, know? right. And I think they intentionally set it up to not be the smartest it possible. There are loopholes here. And then those loopholes get um, taken advantage of yeah. later on. And that is sort of the how the whole episode is set up mm -hmm. is that those loopholes can be um oh god what's the word taken advantage of yeah. and it's really interesting from a writer's point of view that they intentionally chose a plan that was flawed from the beginning so but that, I I'm just saying I get that that totally makes sense but our characters aren't this stupid Echo not stupid Bellamy even though he's, you know, doing things to the contrary, not stupid. <laughs> yeah, no, it is out of character for a lot of, and Raven is not stupid. No. That's the one that I'm, and, and Murphy, like all of, they all have different strengths, mm -hmm. but they all, in all of their various ways would have come to the same conclusion, which is you have th 283 times to have leverage, yeah. basically, and you're not using it to its full advantage. Um, 
one other tiny thing to note, and I, I may be reading way too much into this, but just bear with me. When Bellamy, like, turns to Clark at the end and he's like, we got to go. It sounded so – it was, like, in this perfect husband tone. It was like, it was like, honey, we got to go. We're going to be late for the show. Like, hang up. Say goodbye to the kids. We got to go. It was just this, like, weird dad-husband voice. Okay. It sure. Was, it was like, <laughs> I just got this weird flash of them in, like, the 1960s, like, as a husband and wife together. And I was like, I would watch that show. I'm not sure I quite picked up on that, but – Okay. <laughs> just saying. It just, like, spoke to me. Uh, on the Elegia ship, McCreary tells Dioza that it feels like they're negotiating with terrorists. Zeke does note the irony here. Yeah. <laughs> McCreary wants to take Bellamy and Clark out and then fly back to space to save their people. Zeke says it would take Raven only three minutes to kill the prisoners, so they can't do that. And then Dioza reveals her real plan to McCreary. They'll open the bunker, take the doctor, Abby, uh, kill, quote-unquote, the hostage taker and his girlfriend, uh, go home, and, quote-unquote, find a cure. Yeah, even Dioza sees that Clark and Bellamy are a thing. Yeah, like, I mean... It's, like, obvious to everyone. Again, the writers don't have to put that in there, but no. the fact that they do, I feel like that says it's something. It's laying groundwork here. I mean, we're, like, beating a dead horse at this point. Who can know what the it's writers are... It's just because they, they keep gaslighting us and I feel like I have to constantly you know retaliate against that notion but anyway um also Dioza really does seem to have more going on than she says um I think that much is clear just given the kind of person that she is she's Clark uh but I liked that you know she's been kind of agreeing to this plan and going along with it while at the same time she's really had her own agenda. counter plan and agenda going the entire time totally. um, and I love that in a character and I'm really really excited to see kind of more of her agenda unfolds as the as the story unfolds so yeah and it's also interesting um, that she also constantly has to prove herself to McCreary he is he is a tricky guy and I think you know whereas a more trusting person would just like after a few tries, you know, she would just willingly trust her along the way. But, like, no, he questions her every chance he can. And he does not – There, he has no faith, you know, between them. I think that he trusts that she's smart and she's in charge for now, but he is, like, constantly questioning that behavior. And it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he doesn't agree with the way that she conducts things. Um, I think he would much rather go for, like, a more direct – brutal plan in every single instance but I also think he recognizes that she is smarter than him and he should probably like let her do her thing (laughs) yeah uh also getting to the real main point of this uh section right here what do they need cured what is wrong with I don't know I have been thinking a lot about this this week I think we actually well this was kind of tied into the night blood um theories that we'd had that they all had night blood that needed that was like a, that was like a prototype night blood, so it didn't quite work as well as like Clark's and Maddie's night blood. Um, that's not the case; they don't have night blood, so that's down the drain. Um, but what else could have been wrong with them that they would need a doctor to fix? I think my my like hope is that they picked up something on the asteroid that, or they took something back um, that is hurting them in some way. Another hope would be. They they were like experimented on um on the ship for whatever reason and now there's something wrong with them. I don't know what it could possibly be. Yeah, I mean, I feel like 
the most not I don't want to say boring but least interesting option is that they have like radiation sickness yeah um which would be an easy thing to explain um and if they don't have enough time to like really get into the mystery of what's happening out in space um that is a a way for a mechanic for the for the show to really make sure that this like whole abby doctor you know Mm -hmm. conflict happens um but like you said i think that's like the least interesting way that they could go with this and there are plenty of other really cool theory versions that would be really awesome i just came up with another one um on the spot on the spots so they've been in cryo sleep for a hundred years maybe that deteriorated something in their bodies we in season four um we'd found out that that Becca was building or like was creating night blood for long-term space missions. We'll get to the night blood issue um, when we talk about the Allegis missions a little bit later, but the way that they phrased it in season four was that they needed it um, for radiation when they're in space, mm-hmm. not just necessarily like sun radiation, but like you're just in space a long time, like a hundred years and your body's not taking a lot of stuff. So maybe they didn't use night blood on this and now they do have radiation sickness, but it's like, not quite the same as like what they would have um but like what the mountain men had or anything like that it's like a a more ingrown you know like it's like seeped into all of their cells and yeah like changed them like a little long bit term yeah like long like term acute. yeah um that would be another guess that's interesting that makes a lot of sense actually and i guess that would also mean that would be kind of where Maddie comes in this season and, and her the danger that she faces is maybe they need her maybe they maybe they all need to become nightbloods. Um I don't know, like maybe Clark trades herself for Maddie or something. I I don't know. We'll see. I honestly am <laughs> just We're getting very far ahead. <laughs> uh Octavia and Indra visit Kane in his cell. Octavia says he could have won his freedom yesterday, but he lost the crowd when he showed weakness. Still, Octavia knows Kane didn't steal the medicine. She just wants him to admit who did it, and she'll let him go because only the guilty should fight in the arena. But as Kane says, they're all guilty. Um, so my first point here is when I watched this episode, me and when we, me and you watched it, um, or episode, was it at the end of episode one or the end of episode two? One. Well, whenever one. whenever we got the reveal that Kane was um, fighting in the ring, people were saying that Octavia looked disgusted with him and like she hated him. Whereas I could have seen that, but it seemed to me more like she was holding back her like nervousness and, and like emotions at him being in there. Yeah. And I feel like this scene proves that she really like doesn't want Kane to die. Like, no. She, I think in a lot of ways respects him um, or at least likes him um and she's like trying to like save his life because he doesn't seem interested in saving his own life yeah I agree completely I think it's very obvious here um she's giving him another chance at this because he blew it the first time and he could have saved himself and I think she's pissed that he didn't take his chance yeah she doesn't want him to die it's also worth noting um that in this scene I think it was Gaia who was singing. Yeah. And God, her voice is so another reason which I have a crush on Gaia. Her <laughs> voice is so beautiful. Um, but it's also there's this really qu- creepy quality um to this hymn that she's singing that also seems very intentional to me. Um it's just it's suggesting to me that this there's something not quite right with this new religion. There's not some it's not entirely genuine. 
and we'll talk about this like a little bit more later on but there is something awry here Mm -hmm. um that doesn't feel quite right yeah and i i also wanted to say here we've been um theorizing that at some point people could just choose to go and fight in the arena Mm -hmm. um but this makes it clear with octavia saying only the guilty should fight in the arena that it really still is you have to commit a crime to get put in there um and that brings up the question are people committing crimes just to fight maybe i don't know right is there like an underground sort of like corrupted version scamming this this you know order of justice that people are are taking advantage of and making money off of or like i don't know getting more food or like rations or something mm-hmm. it does seem like there are like favorites yeah in the arena and like that seems really weird to me mm-hmm. um so it'll be interesting to see if we get any more back i mean we're not in the we're not in the bunker anymore after this so i don't know how much more information we're gonna get but i would like to know yeah i mean i think it's very likely we'll still get at least one more flashback to um to certain things that to happened. certain things to come um, also has abby been stealing medicine this whole time because they've been in there for six years and you're telling me six years have gone by and you're suddenly now noticing that medicine has been stolen well i feel like for the at least some period of time they may have been prescribing it to her i think at a certain point it becomes obvious that she is faking her symptoms to get to the drugs um and at some point somebody must have been like we're cutting off your supply and i think at that point is when she started to steal and i think um the 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 less access she had the more desperate she becomes so i'm sure at the beginning her like plans to steal it were like much more careful and i mean i think her addiction has made her careless and so it makes sense to me that after six years she's like deteriorated to a point where she gets caught i get what you're saying but first the only two doctors are jackson and abby whether they've trained people since then maybe that's the case but jackson noticed abby's addiction a long time ago like two months after the they closed the bunker doors Mm -hmm. so i highly doubt he kept like allowing her to like keep taking these like prescribing them in that way um past that even if he had that might be the case maybe he let her do it for like five and a half years let's just say it's been six months that she's been stealing stuff how did someone find out because abby is the head doctor so you're and and, like jackson wasn't gonna tell on her so who figured out that she was stealing medicine but didn't figure out that she was stealing medicine and then told octavia yeah, and then, and then Kane came forward because, like, what was it about the situation that made him think, oh, my God, Abby's in immediate danger. I must come forward. Yeah. Because they clearly didn't know it was Abby. I feel like this is going to come out later and, like, somebody's going to use this as, like, a, you know, like, I'm going to tell the truth if you don't do what I say. Like, a blackmail situation. Is the I word. think it will be Kara Cooper. I do, too. I was just going to say that. (laughs) We have not talked about this before. Zero discussion before. (laughs) Curious, though. Cooper's not in this episode. I'm watching you, Cooper, but not directly on TV because you're gone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she wasn't in this episode. Um, One last thing to note about this scene is how uncomfortable Indra looked the entire time. Um, And it really makes sense because we know that she and Kane are good friends. And I get that she would be very uncomfortable with the situation. Um... And yeah. she's not happy about it. I'm really glad to see that she and Kane are friends again, just because at the end of last season, 
things were a little bit more tenuous between them. Um, so I'm glad that they've kind of made up and, and come back around to being friends, or at yeah. least to the point where she doesn't want him to die. Right, right. <laughs> Octavia is not here for a philosophy lesson from Kane. When does he ever not give philosophy lessons, by the way? He's like, now the Jaha's gone. <laughs> Somebody had to step into those shoes. <laughs> So she's not here for that. She's here to give him a second chance. Uh, and Kane's offering her the same. He knows Octavia has kept one crew together. They could have torn themselves apart during the dark year. Although, as Octavia reminds him, the one rule about the dark year is you don't talk about the dark year. So, guys. <laughs> cannibalism? <laughs> we, it if it's not cannibalism, it's something just as bad. My theory about why they call it the dark year is I think something happened to the power, to the electricity, and I think a lot of the bunker was plunged into darkness, and I think that in and of itself would be really horrific to be in this place underground with no sunlight, no light at all. Um, but I also think that could have affected um, the the plants and the water and like the food source. Um, and so maybe they had to resort to cannibalism because of that. I am staying on this cannibalism train until it is confirmed that they have not eaten people. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, I'm nothing bad. <laughs> My other thing that hopefully is not at all connected to cannibalism is where the hell is Nyla? Why is she not here? What has she been doing? I'm very concerned for her. I'm not like really concerned for her. Because I know she's later in the season. Yeah. But I'm still concerned for her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is, like, just from, like, a – this is really boring, but, like, from a budget perspective, like, they blew a lot of budget. There was, like, a lot of special effects in this episode and, like, the ship going up yeah. and down. Um, and, like, some of the ways they can cut corners on costs is just not having everyone in every episode. So it's very likely that they were just, like, we don't have a central storyline for her and we're just not going to have her in it. I do agree with that. Um, but I also think Nyla's one of the more – interesting characters on this show and I think she provides a foil to like every single person that she meets except maybe Monty <laughs> um, so I, I feel like it could have been really interesting to see her meet Dioza's crew and I, I don't know maybe we'll see it we at some will point, later but I, I just I missed her presence here she's become very important to me yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish she had been here but Kane says that Octavia has lost her way they all have the arena doesn't deliver justice. They did a lot of horrible things on the Ark, but they have the chance to do something better and they're throwing it away. Strength without mercy is nothing, but Kane tells Octavia it's not too late. She can still save them. It almost looks like he reaches her, but then Octavia asks him again who stole the medicine, and when he says nothing, she leaves. So again, it's interesting because we return to one of the central themes of this show, which is surviving versus deserving to live. And we've seen this go back and forth and many different characters grapple with this, you know, central theme. And Kane seems to be offering salvation for his soul and also all of the souls of one crew. Um, it's a kind of a religious appeal, actually, which is interesting given the religious background of his mother. Um, and it's also an interesting comparison because they already have a religion um for one crew in the bunker Gaia's but her her sort of religious um direction or or sort of like you know MO is is not interested in salvation at all it's purely just about survival and so if you kind of compare what Kane is going after here there is like this this like sort of sort of like salvation component um and religious quality to it that's really interesting to me 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he very clearly believes in a soul. Yeah. Um, I, and I know we haven't seen everything or like really anything, but I'm really curious what Kane thinks Octavia could have done differently to save everyone. Um, you know, he, he always seems to think that they can do better, but then he doesn't actually offer a better solution or a viable solution. Um, his solutions are always very naive and very like, you know, up in the clouds. Like, yeah, it's really grandiose and like, it sounds like a politician where it's like all talk, no game. It's like, let's all just put aside our weapons and be friends. Yeah. Like, sure, Kane, that would be great, but that's not who he, that we can't work like that. People are inherently violent and we lash out. And Well, particularly these people are very violent. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't take a culture that has built itself on like violence and war because that's how they became a, a, a you know, united group of people through the apocalypse they were fighting to survive and that's something that's carried on throughout the last 100 years and now you can't just put them in a bunker with their enemies and say okay let's all get along now time to change like that's just not how it works right I mean and I mean it's a nice idea and I'm not disagreeing with that idea but I need a plan for execution if you're gonna like take you telling Octavia that she's like basically damning them all to hell (laughs) I need I need I need a plan. Yeah. Um, I also think it's interesting. This is the second time that somebody has brought up the fact that Octavia's mom was floated in this season alone. Um, Jaha mentioned it in episode two, but that was to push Octavia um, into becoming a stronger, harder leader that understands the cost of justice and leadership and governing. But now Kane is actually using it to show that, um, you know, violence begets violence and that people ultimately suffer for it just the way, just like the way that Octavia suffered when her mother was floated and, and what that did to her. And while I do think that is an interesting point, I, th- I think that he was naive to us to believe that that would like soften Octavia. I mean, it does for like a second, but she is so far past this point um, of emotion that, that it, it actually just... It doesn't even affect her. Well, yeah, I wanted to jump in and say that, you know, both Jaha and Kane do use this as a way, as a manipulative way to get Octavia on their side. And with Jaha, it works because Octavia is kind of at a place where she's receptive to hearing it. But by the time Kane uses it, she's moved far past that. Right. Exactly. Kane tells Indra not to try to talk him out of it, and Indra won't. Instead, she brings him to Abby. Indra says to Abby that Kane won yesterday and that she's matched him up with a weaker opponent today, but he's refusing to fight, so hopefully Abby can talk him out of it. Abby stops Indra before she leaves and confesses that she took the drugs, and she doesn't want Kane to die because of something that she did. But then Indra reveals that Kane was the one who had Abby locked up in the first place because he knew she'd confess to save him. The only way to save both Kane and Abby is for Kane to win in the arena. I think it's very clear, um how much Indra still cares about Kane by how angry she is with his choice to take Abby's place in the arena and then ultimately choose suicide. I think she thinks of this as not only being particularly wasteful, um, but part of a larger issue, which is that Kane enables Abby's addiction, which I don't think Abby, I mean, which I don't think Indra understands at all. Yeah. And I think she's furious at this situation and very frustrated by it. I totally agree. Um, Indra is definitely, though, in between a rock and a hard place right now with Octavia and Kane. She's still still very loyal to Octavia, but she's willing to go against Octavia 
for Cain, and that's something that we don't see very often. No, that's an interesting progression that would not have seemed possible in previous seasons. Yeah. Cain asks Abby, what have we done? To which Abby replies that they've done what they had to do to survive. Cain doesn't know how many times they can keep telling themselves that, because it's just a way to justify the horrors they've inflicted on each other, and he can't do it anymore. Abby offers to give him or to give up the pills if Cain fights because she can't lose him, but Cain says he's lost himself. He makes her promise she won't confess after he's gone and that she'll stop taking the pills because if she dies, his sacrifice will have been for nothing. This was such a beautiful scene. It was really, really powerful, and it felt like the perfect goodbye scene. I mean, it was it was beautifully done, um, but it was ultimately unnecessary in this episode. But I still think that. Like, it was so potent that it makes me think that they'll it, that it's going to be used later on. Like, this is the goodbye that they got. And even if they don't ultimately need to say goodbye at this moment, they will be saying goodbye forever at some point this season. And I am now convinced more than ever that Kane is going to die. Yeah, I, I honestly just don't think Kane has what it takes to survive in this world. And I don't mean it in a bad way or a good way. I just don't think he can survive here. Yeah, no, that's just an objective, like, statement. He doesn't have the will to survive. We've seen him give up. The one thing that I'm not sure about is if they would kill Cain and then have Abby be the only adult left, like adult, quote unquote, left. I guess well, Indra, 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 Indra too. But, but like, you know, we've had our core three adults. It's always been Jaha, Cain, and, and um, Abby. And to lose two of those in this season would be a lot. Now, it, it is very telling that, like, you know, the next generation is taking over. And I think they've been taking over for quite a while now. Um, but I still do like the perspectives that the older generation gives. Yeah. Um, that comes from just a different time and a different way of life. So I do think Kane, like if I had to guess, I think Kane's going to die. But I wonder if they're going to try to replace that perspective with someone else. Yeah. And I do think that it would be interesting if he was going to die, I feel like they would wait until the very last episode. Oh, yeah. So that it would kind of be bookended with Jaha and Kane's deaths. One at the beginning and one at the end. But we'll see. I mean, like, I wonder... It seems unlikely that, that would be the, the scene that they've all talked about at the end of the season when, like, the entire cast and crew was crying. Yeah. I don't think Kane's death... Maybe for some people, not for me. I don't think for everyone, though. Yeah, I that's I think that's true. something else. I think so too, which is almost why I kind of have always wondered if it would if it would be Abby. Um, but I also don't think that is true either. I don't think it is true for her either. It does seem odd to me that Kane thinks that Abby could stop taking the pills if he dies for her, because you know at that point, what else does Abby feel like she has to live for? She is trapped in this bunker. She can't get out and see her daughter. She doesn't even know if Clark is still alive. If Kane's gone. Like, I, I don't think that, that that gives her a lot to want to live for. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I think Kane sacrificing himself and then putting that on Abby is, it would be a really destructive force for her. It would be, I mean, like, this is exactly what I was going to talk to you about. It would be selfish. I mean, it's so funny because they were just having this conversation, you know, in episode two about selfishness when Abby wanted to sacrifice herself because of her mental, you know, distress at not being able to go on like this anymore. Mm -hmm. She had 
done horrific things and she was traumatized by them and she was had enough but Cain ultimately took that choice away from her um because he couldn't bear it um and took away her agency and he's he's doing it again I mean she needs him badly but now that he is in the same situation that she was in and he has done horrific things and he can't bear it suddenly it's okay for him to do it like it's just not fair it is not fair and I don't like it and it's it's not right I mean I'm saying this again unsure if I'd make a different choice in Kane's position you know someone when someone that you love is in danger you do things that might be problematic like that's just the way that humanity works like we're set up around a society we're built to love people and we will compromise things for other people's safety you can't be judged for the the way that you love someone I mean like I can't deny that like what he is doing has irritated me and continues to irritate me but I also can't say that he's doing something different than what I do so yeah (laughs) I'm in a very weird spot here it's a gray area like everything else on the show it's not that this is inherently 100% wrong or 100% right there is there is wiggle room here and there's there's it's both wrong and right and that's why the show works so well because it's it's really interested in in where those two things sort of like interact yeah so back on the ship murphy has a soccer ball but raven is not having it she's looking through the files for the allegius missions the company founded three other missions besides the one that they're on right now the first mission was unmanned and they found a hethelodium mine on an asteroid called proxima 6 allegius 2 was the first mission to mine it but they failed because they didn't have enough manpower which is why they switched to prison labor for allegius 4 and what happened to Allegius 3, you ask? That's the weird part. The mission is encrypted with an algorithm even Raven can't crack. Man. This was the most exciting thing about the episode to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, like last episode, we got um, a little hint about Allegius 3 that they went somewhere with two sons and needed Nightblood for it. Right. Um, I feel, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they went to a habitable planet. <laughs> She's like a kid in a candy store. Like, don't give her any sugar. <laughs> I just, I feel very strongly that Allegius 3 was a mission sent to check out a planet to see whether it was habitable. I think everyone on that mission had nightblood. I don't think they were prisoner. I think they were like, you know, I think they had chosen to go on this trip. A population. Trip. A population. I think they had nightblood. I think something happened and they never came back. Um, so what happened to them? I think that they chose to stay there <laughs> or or oh, something God. like... Oh, you think that this is where we're going, right? You think that they have like a society set up there. Oh, yeah. I am 99% convinced. We all know that that doesn't always mean anything, but I'm 99% convinced at the end of this season, we are going wherever Allegius 3 went with two sons. Everyone's going to have to be made in Nightblood. I think... You know, we kind of tying this into um, what is wrong with the prisoners right now. Like, what cure do they need? Maybe they need to become Nightbloods. Maybe, you know, everyone eventually needs to become Nightbloods. And then we'll go to this new planet because you've screwed up our old one. The old planet is dead. We can't live there anymore. So we're going to go to the new place. We're going to hang out with people from Allegius 3. And that will be the cliffhanger of the season. Season 6. That is season 6. Okay. We'll see. Um... Yeah, and I, I, I do also wonder, they mentioned specifically that Proxima 6 was the asteroid they mined, and it was interesting to me because 
they named it. They they named the asteroid. Yeah, they they actually said it the name of it several times. Yeah, over and over so, again. So, I, I is that going to become significant in any way? Maybe. Um, I I, I kind of wonder. You know, the the word Proxima is like close. It means like close to something in Latin. In in Latin, or I don't really know what it means in whatever the root is Latin. Sure, it's close to something, and then it's number six. So, my two theories are: it's either an asteroid within this like solar system, or or like orbiting a planet that is habitable, mm-hmm. or it's actually not an asteroid. It's really a moon that they found, um, and it's one of the six moons of this planet, um, and that's why they kind of decided in between mining in Allegius 2 and mining in Allegius 4 to send a group there to check out the planet. Okay. I wondered, too, if Order 11 could have something to do with Allegius 3 and what Allegius 3 either found or, like, checking out what happened to them because they never came back. Yeah, maybe, like, Allegius 3 is, like, all set up in their shiny new planet and they, like, need, like, raw materials, like, mm-hmm. minerals and things like that. And so they, like, sent a prison ship to, like, go mine the asteroid but then they don't want 300 horrible criminals (laughs) to like be in their new shiny new society and so they just are gonna kill them yeah yes i agree we are like now fully shifted from dystopia into sci-fi we are like in a new genre guys (sighs) i've been ready guys i've been ready for five seasons (laughs) (laughs) um but let's move on yeah we'll put a pin in that because i am sure we'll return later on i like metaphorical pin board is there's like I know. strings going everywhere <laughs> it's like that, that image from community where uh no it's not community i thought it was a community no it's from oh crap what's the one uh, sunny in philadelphia ah uh, always sunny because <laughs> it's charlie like, i've never seen crazy it eyes. so okay well <laughs> that's what it's from okay Someone suddenly tries to hack the Allegius computer from the ground. Raven works to stop it while Murphy wants to pull the plug on the prisoners. Raven begs Murphy not to, but Murphy says they know what they've signed up for and they have to prepare for the fact that they may have to kill 300 people. Or 200, maybe three, to be exact. Raven tells him that she has this and cruelly says that he should just go play with his ball and she'll do the rest like always. Poor Raven. You know, she does not have the killer instinct that Clark has and... Putting her or being faced with this kind of moral dilemma um, really shows that she doesn't have the chops, and I mean that in like the most complimentary yeah. way possible. <laughs> um, and it's showing, you know, she she is frustrated by this and and scared and doesn't know what to do, and that frustration plays out. You know, she's snapping at Murphy, which isn't like you know again happens every day, but particularly <laughs> in this really tense situation, there's only the two of them. She is talking about how, you know, she has to pull the brunt of the work. She's always doing everything. But this is the one thing that she actually can't do. And she's mad about it. Yeah. Um, and she's taking it out on Murphy. I'm glad that Raven is kind of finally expressing how annoyed she is that she always does all of this work. And I feel like she d- doesn't get any real recognition from it because yeah. it was always like Clark or Bellamy or someone else who was like the leader. And she was kind of doing the work behind the scenes Mm -hmm. but she really does kind of enable so many things to happen like we would not be anywhere without her yeah I mean if you know just carrying through the Harry Potter references from last episode if like Clerk and Bellamy are like Harry and are like Harry then she would be really the Hermione yeah I also Murphy is Ron that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) I I also still don't get what Murphy thinks would happen once they kill all those people. Again, you don't have any 
leverage then? What would stop them from just coming up and killing you both? Like, right. And how would you get down? I, I just, I, I don't know. It's just such a weird plan a that feels hole. like a serious writing flaw. Like the show can do better than that. Yeah, I agree. I but agree. whatever. I think it is. A, it's problematic. In the fighting ring, Kane doubles down on his choice not to fight. His opponent is upset, saying that if Kane doesn't fight him, neither of them will get out of there alive. But Kane tells the crowd he will not kill his opponent. They've allowed justice to become vengeance and vengeance to become sport, and he allowed that darkness to rise, but his complicity ends today. Putting aside the beautiful writing <laughs> that that speech was, because it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, what hubris. <laughs> what? What? just arrogance for Kane to think that he allowed this system to exist that he had any say in this system's existence at all whatsoever it's just mind-boggling to me that he thinks how thinks of himself so so importantly I mean I guess that he goes on to say his complicity so I get that of just like he's gone along with it and not tried to stop it um but again, I, I think Kane has always had that hubris in the same way that Jaha has. Yeah. You know, thinking that they they have power that they might not necessarily actually have. And that they're entitled to power. Yeah. Because he hasn't been in power for a very long time. Yeah, neither of them have. No. They both were chancellors at one point. Watch <laughs> that real good. Yep. <laughs> Um, I really also love Kane's opponent and this like little bit that we see of him. Like he doesn't want, you know, to, to fight. It's very clear. He doesn't like really want to be there. Um, and honestly, <laughs> my feelings toward Kane in this episode were very conflicted. So I was kind of like in like my heart of hearts. I was, I kind of wanted this other guy to win. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's what we're supposed to be feeling, right? Is that this, we were supposed to feel like really sympathetic to this guy who like, yeah, of course committed a crime, but this is like a, you know, corporal punishment kind of place. Um, that's not the word I was looking for. I was looking for, well, I'm just saying I feel bad for him specifically because the other people in the ring, we don't know their backstories, but they were just like gung ho, like gonna murder, which, you know, is fine. You, you need to murder to survive. But this guy just seemed to like really not want to do it. But he's like, we have to do it. I don't want to die. You don't want to die. Like, let's right. just fight. He and... wanted a fair fight. Yeah. And, and I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate that, too. And I think it shows another way it humanizes him. And I think it shows another way that this system whilst it seems really like black and white you know there are layers to this and Kate again it, it shows how selfish Kane is because you're you have an opponent in this ring who doesn't who also doesn't want to be a murderer and you know and his success also rides on Kane fighting right. like it's not just right and so it's one thing to to act in self-preservation and and be in self-defense killing somebody in self-defense other than just straight up chopping their head off like talk about saving somebody's soul I mean like anyway I just feel like this this is a very selfish moment for Kane but I understand why he does it I do too it makes perfect sense for his character for his character um I also just wanted to jump in and say we had a discussion earlier and in earlier episodes about you know is do people get thrown in this ring on purpose do they commit crimes and get thrown on purpose and because we were thinking that because people were coming in seeming like really excited to be there yeah but you see what this guy he definitely plays the crowd. Like, he's, like, to Kane's, like, when they're just kind of, like, one-on-one, -on -one, he's, like, please, come on, fight. we got we got to fight. And then he, like, turns around to the crowd and, like, does, like, a big, like, cheer, mm -hmm. um, like, a, like a warrior kind of thing. 
And it's it's an interesting idea that maybe they know that they have to get the crowd on their sides. So that's why everyone coming into this ring looks like they're really excited to be there. Right. Because they want the crowd to cheer for them. Right. It's um, a show. So, so I'm kind of wondering now, like, maybe maybe they really didn't want to be there, but they were just kind of putting on the show, as you said. Yeah. I don't know. It's a question that I would really like to be answered. My last question about this scene, um, because we saw Kane fight yesterday, and he's also fighting again today. Do they have a fighting pit every single day? Is that sustainable? How is is it just like when necessary? I mean, I don't think it would be every day. I don't think that makes any sense. Um, if it really is only the guilty fighting, um, because like when they have had other fights, they've paired, like they put like six people in at once, you know. Yeah. And then with Kane, it was just like him and one other person. So maybe it was just like that day, <laughs> they only had one other person to to Should come they in just, and fight. Like, keep- a prisoner until there's like another person for them to fight i would assume so i would assume that because like if there's no one for them to fight there's no one for them to fight you know what i mean what a system (laughs) uh octavia comes into the ring and tells him that he's one crew or he's the enemy of one crew choose but kane already has Octavia doesn't want to do this, but she will if she has to. She kicks Kane down and goads him, asking where his survival instinct is. Kane says that saving his people is about more than keeping them alive. Octavia looks around at the cheering crowd, and Kane says it's not too late, but Octavia makes up her mind it is too late for Kane. She goes to kill him, but then a hole is blasted in the ceiling and sunlight streams in from below. Saved by the blast from above, Kane. <laughs> Uh, it's clear that Octavia's power is absolute here. She has spent six years killing for that power, and she knows how to keep it, and she is willing to sacrifice Kane to stay in power. And we know what that means for her, personally, mm-hmm. because we know, we saw earlier, that she really doesn't want him to die. But, you know, it's not worth it for her to lose control. Yeah. Um, and like Indra... I think Kane is really pissing off Octavia. You know, she's really irritated that he doesn't have that survival instinct. You know, she's like trying to push him just to see if he'll, you know, fight back. You know, if it's something will kick in inside of him. I think she's, she's also like, come on, man, get up. I mean, I think she greatly respects the survival instinct. So for someone to like actively choose to die, I think that is really frustrating to her. Right. Um, I also wanted to note too, this was a really interesting parallel to season one when Kane says, saving my people is about more than just keeping them alive. Um, and that kind of flashes back to what Abby told Kane in season one. I, what was it? Saving our people is about more than just surviving? Yeah. Or, or so like, or maybe I, I, we have to make we, sure we deserve to survive yeah. or, or something there like that. There was the word deserve was in there. I, I thought it was just like, I think Kane is now... Kane and Abby are now on opposite sides than where they started in yeah, many ways. But they, and it's so funny to see them like have blended and then come out completely differently after yeah. working and living and loving each other for so long. I mean, they are just two completely different people than when they started. Yeah. So out of the hole, Bellamy repels down from the ceiling like Indiana freaking Jones. Like an angel. <laughs> <laughs> And when Octavia sees him, she jumps into his arms and tells him that she knew he would come. Clark drops down beside him, and Octavia goes over and grabs her arm and hello. And then Clark and Bellamy look around in shock. What the hell have they walked in on? <laughs> um, whatever my feelings about Bellamy and Octavia, and they are really complicated feelings, I loved, loved, loved their reunion scene here. Yeah, it was really sweet. It was very touching. We got a piece of Octavia that... 
I think she thought was long dead. <laughs> I, yeah, and I'm not sure if we're going to see it again. That's, yeah. I hope we do. It was fleeting. Yeah. Um, but Clark's and Octavia's reunion scene was kind of hilarious. Yep. It was like, <laughs> I see you. Yeah. I acknowledge you. Hi. I've never really liked you. Yeah. I guess it's fine that you're not dead. Right. That's cool. It's good that you're not dead. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I think maybe e- they, they're like glad each other's alive both for Bellamy's right. sake. Right. I was going to say for the sake of Bellamy. Yeah. But if they never had to interact again, that would also be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that Clark and Bellamy are still so in sync. You know, they've never needed words to communicate. And they just, with a look, you can see that they're thinking exactly the same thing. Like, what? What have we walked Although, into? Although, in this specific scene, it's not hard to be thinking the same thing about what the hell is no, going on. No, everyone's thinking that. <laughs> like, there's blood everywhere. Yeah, I mean, as, as we can see, McCreary and Dioza rappel down, and when Octavia asks Bellamy who they are, Dioza, who is a little bit affronted, was like, we're here to rescue you. Um, and she's also, her and McCreary are both just, what is happening? Um, Octavia notes that the Allegius crew is armed, but Bellamy tells her that they have an understanding. Clark wants to find her mother first thing, so Indra escorts her away. And Dioza guesses that Octavia is Bellamy's sister, and Octavia's eyebrows raise when Bellamy introduces Dioza as Colonel. Used to be, Dioza tells her, and notes that she loves Octavia's war paint. So this is another great scene between two powerful women. Very different dynamics than Dioza and Clark, but this is kind of what I missed when I when Dioza and Bellamy were squaring off at the beginning of this episode. Um, this is what I love. Yeah. Like two women sizing each other up and like figuring out each other's power. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this interaction uh, reminded me so much of like the passive aggressive way, like in Mean Girls, like the way they compliment each other is like, I love your hair. I love your bracelet. I love, <laughs> I love your war paint. I love your that war paint. That is the ugliest fucking war paint. Fugly <laughs> war paint. <laughs> it's so passive aggressive and so specifically female yeah um like there is no way that this interaction would have worked if a man was playing one of these roles and it's just glorious yeah and it's feminineness if that makes sense yeah or femaleness (laughs) and it's femaleness i should say to take sort of sexuality out of the picture but yeah um yeah i do think that these are they are also very evenly matched from like a military point of view whereas like dioza and clark are very evenly matched from like a wits point of view yeah and that's really cool. I also just wanted to note McCreary's facial expression when he enters the arena. <laughs> oh my God. Like, he's like, I'm a serial killer and this is even <laughs> too much for me. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> I mean, like, if I think something's wrong, yeah. something <laughs> is know wrong. Something's something wrong. is wrong. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, I really do appreciate all of the, like, crazy reactions about people coming into the bunker and like looking around and like seeing the blood splattered everywhere and like the the fences with the razor sharp you know edges right well I mean and it also is a good way of showing how desensitized um one crew is to yeah it because they like aren't even phased by this anymore yeah um and then everyone else walks in and they're like what are you doing <laughs> Ah, well, Dioza tells the waiting crowd in the arena that they'll do this two at a time and then tells everyone to go get their things and they'll get started as soon as they're ready topside. No one moves until Octavia motions at them with her head and then they all leave. Dioza and McCreary are thrown and so is Bellamy. McCreary asks how many people they're preparing for extraction and at the same time that Bellamy says 1,200, Octavia says 814. Bellamy looks at her and Octavia stares at him with a little bit of a challenge. So I noticed this in 
at the end of uh, no the in, in season or in episode two um when octavia kind of motioned that oh they're free to go in the ring when they were fighting she mm-hmm. like barely made movement with her hand and then that was kind of the the signal that they were free here we see this like tiny tiny nod from her that everyone at one crew can see and like immediately respond to so she is so in control that her tiniest movements she knows is all that she needs to be followed. And right. I love it. She doesn't have to do any grand gestures. She's not still vying for power. I mean, she is so confident that she has their full attention at all and any time. Mm-hmm. You know, she just knows they will be looking at her and she doesn't even have to check. Yeah. It's amazing. And also, I just wanted to note Bellamy's face when he realized that the population had decreased by roughly 400 people, I mean, he was shocked. And I think that fact combined with, if you will, the aesthetic, quote unquote, of the arena, um, I think he's starting to put together some really nasty pieces about Octavia's reign here as Blood Reina, and he is not happy about it. I mean, first and foremost, you know some people have died when you go down there and there's dried blood just like covering the walls like all the way up like three stories, you right. know? Like, 30 people is different than 400 people. Yeah. I don't think Bellamy could have ever imagined. Oh, no. No, no. Definitely not. (laughs) Dioza checks in with Zeke, who says they're still locked out of the Allegia ship, and whoever this girl is, she's good. He'll let her know when he gets back in. And as Zeke types, they're static, and suddenly Raven's bird image comes up on the computer. Real cute. Zeke has no idea how cute she really is. <laughs> like, you just wait, sir. You just wait. I cannot wait for, the, like, to see his face the moment that he sees Raven. Yeah, I mean, like, it, as we've said many, many times, it doesn't take much for us to ship. We already knew that this was going to be, a, like, a ship for Raven this season. They had talked about that. We were all guessing that it was going to be Zeke. I just, this was a perfect beginning. Yeah, and, and we, it's been a while on this show since we've had, like, a really good overtly romantic new ship to obsess about you know we we always have Bellark on the back burner but this is like we know it's going to happen they very clearly are well matched we're ready for it (laughs) yeah and I just I love how impressed he is already with her brain I mean like wait till he sees her face and everything underneath her face the most beautiful face on like that exists right now in like the human race (laughs) (laughs) she's just so stunning she deserves to be loved (laughs) And also, she's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not just her beauty. It's no, also no, I didn't mean her, that from like a vanity soul. point of view. But I just like also, what a waste for her body. <laughs> Raven is in the cryopod studying the sleeping prisoners when Murphy comes out of an empty pod and scares her. He realizes that she thought one of them was waking up, which he thought was impossible. But Raven says it's not. Then Murphy asks what she's doing here, hanging out with people she might have to kill. And at this point, Raven gets upset, and Murphy immediately regrets his words and goes after her. Can I just say, Murphy, what a little shit. You're such a little (laughs) shit. I just, like, every time he's on screen, that's what I think, but I also dearly love him for it. Yeah, no, he's he's better because of it. His, like, extraness coming out of that thing. Yeah, and he had his hands, like, folded over like a mummy. It was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. His, like, melodramatic ass. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I was, again, as always, very, very impressed with Murphy's ability to analyze his peers. I mean, he sees right through to Raven. What is she doing here? What is her conflict? And he just zeroes right in it. And, you know, you can just let some of them go by, Murphy. You don't have to, like, (laughs) pick on every single nitpick you can. 
I mean, to be fair, this is like a pretty big thing. It is a big thing. Um, but there are other ways. You don't have to say it like that. Well, that's why he goes after her. I do want to know what what really was Murphy doing here? Because, you know, Raven, I don't think he thought she was going to come into this room. So was he just like trying to like see what it felt like to no, be in cryo sleep? He's tired. <laughs> but the fact that he was sleeping in there. Murphy, why? <laughs> He's just a little shit. Ugh. Uh, Murphy catches up to Raven and apologizes. He knows how hard this is for her. Raven says she's sorry if she was a bitch before. She's just afraid she won't be able to pull the plug. Murphy knows, and that's why he's going to do it. He thought he'd stayed behind to impress Amori, but the more he thinks about it, he really stayed behind to help Raven, because she shouldn't have to be the one who always sacrifices. This is one of the rare moments where we actually see Murphy apologize, and it's very heartwarming and very effective because it's so out of character for him. Honestly, the... Almost like all, the, maybe all of the moments we see him apologize are to Raven. Yeah. I think he so deeply respects Raven um, and everything that she does and she's capable of. And and she's the one who always earns his apologies. I think it's because he, I think like she is everything that he feels like he isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, she is smart. She is capable. She has like more skills than you could count. She is a leader. She like takes charge. She's very altruistic I mean I think they're all these qualities that Murphy doesn't recognize in himself and they're just he's just so deeply in awe of everything that she is and it brings out this like softer side in him yeah um I also just wanted to note this was a confusing scene to me especially the first time I watched it watching it again I saw it a little bit differently but the first time I watched it in any other show, this would have been a scene between a romantic couple or a couple that was, like, going to get together. Yeah. It just – it had this, like, weird vibe to it. And now I, I personally don't think anything is going to happen between those two. Um, you know, in, in, in interviews, Lindsay Morgan, I think, has specifically said that they are brother and sister. Um, but it was, ju- it was just an interesting way to frame this um, – this – the scene and and I'm curious where they're going with Ravens and Murphy's relationship yeah and I think you're right because especially given the like parallel that he does to Amori he's like well I thought I was doing this for Amori but really I was doing this for like you and I or whatever it's very very bad paraphrasing but (laughs) um but that is a weird comparison to make Mm -hmm. you know given that one is romantic and the other one is not yet yeah um and also they just I think they're both really attractive people they're both amazing actors I think they have really great chemistry in general just like as scene partners Mm -hmm. and so they're electric and I think that even if they're not trying to play this romantic it suck it can come across that way because they're just so so good yeah I mean I really think if Zeke weren't here or Amori weren't here I feel like the show would have chosen to go in that direction I agree um, but yeah. given that they are here, I don't think they're going to go in that direction. <laughs> I don't think so either, but weirder things have happened. Yeah, agreed. Abby opens her pill bottle in her cell, clearly about to break her promise to Kane already and take one, when Indra comes in and tells Abby that Kane is still alive for now, and then Clark comes in behind her and says, hi, mom. Abby turns around, stunned, and hugs her. Indra says they have to move, and Clark tells Abby that everything's going to be okay, but she first has to get Abby out of here. Abby asks what happened to Kane, and Indra says that she'll get him to the ground, and after that, it's up to Abby. So, 
this was an incredibly weird reunion to me. Oh, um, me too. And I had a hard time kind of coming to grips with it because, well, even from Clark's point, if I saw my mom again after six years, I would be stopping. Yeah, it'd and be Clark, hysterical. And Clark is, you know, much more open to, like, love and her emotions at this point. So that I didn't quite believe. But as far as Abby goes, I think in any other season, Abby would have been hysterical at seeing her daughter. That's all she's wanted. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, I think that Abby isn't in the right place to see Clark right now. I think she is so ashamed of herself for everything that she's done in the last six years, you know, the pill bottles and then everything really that she's partaken in, um, that seeing Clark is just a reminder to her of how far she's fallen. And like, she almost doesn't, she doesn't feel like she deserves to see Clark. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, and I like that interpretation of this scene, but it still doesn't excuse Clark's behavior. Like I don't understand Clark in this scene yeah. at all. It makes no sense to me. Like it doesn't to you. I just like, there is no way in any scenario that if being separated from like a beloved family member and reuniting with them after six years that I wouldn't be hysterically crying. Like, I don't care. You'd have to have like heart of stone. <laughs> um, and again, I just want to note, you know, we see a shot of Indra again and she is clearly disgusted, you know, as soon as Abby is like, she's about to take the pills and then she's like, her hands are shaking and she stows it away. And Indra, I think just views her addiction as weakness um and I don't think that she fully understands addiction and how it plagues Abby and I think she's just very very unsympathetic to this problem yeah I would agree with that and I think that I think that not that she dislikes Abby um but she's never had a real connection with Abby like she's had with Kane and so to see Kane sacrificing himself for someone who as she sees isn't is, is still like is throwing away his sacrifice yeah um i think that that really it doesn't sit well with her doesn't sit well with her no mccreary rigs up octavia and as she ascends up and out of the bunker gaia starts the chant come follow so nagyon up <laughs> well done well done yeah from the ashes we will rise as a translation guys <laughs> everyone starts chanting and bellamy dioza and mccreary are seriously creeped out I mean, I had a massive eye roll at this chanting. It just felt so over the top to me. I mean, it, it is over the top, period. <laughs> it's it's certainly a major look at this new religion, which is apparently followed by both the Grounders and the old Sky Crew. Like, they've, they've definitely, like, come together in this one weird new thing. <laughs> yeah, like, it's one crew. This uh, is the one crew religion. Yeah. I uh, I saw someone note that it looks like Octavia is dying here. Like, she is being carried up and away from Bellamy. Um, like, she's, like, ascending to, to the sky, which I don't know if she would go, would to, heaven. She go to heaven. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know if any of these people would go to heaven. <laughs> Nyla. Nyla would go to heaven. Nyla and Monty. <laughs> Monty. Um, but I, I just wonder that. I thought that was an interesting note, and I'm, I'm curious if that could possibly be foreshadowing. I am still... Not on on like a hundred percent on board. The Octavia is gonna die train, but I I'm def I bought my ticket at least. <laughs> yeah, I I again weirder things have happened, and I think there's definitely groundwork that has been laid 
that would it would make sense if she died at the end of the season I could see that I also just wanted a quick costume note here because I think it's really important um she comes out of the bunker Octavia is dressed in this like Romanesque garb you know from the cape over one shoulder to the maroon coloring and combined with her armor she looks exactly like a Roman general um and she acts like one too (laughs) so she's really living up to her namesake and obviously reading too much Ovid yes she's a joke we're gonna get to (laughs) right now uh octavia rises first and gets her first look at the sun in six years miller comes up next and when he sees bellamy they hug then bellamy notes a gun at his waistband and bellamy tells octavia that the deal was no weapons but as octavia says it wasn't her deal there is more chemistry between bellamy and miller than (laughs) miller has had with any other character on this show even his romantic interests (laughs) i mean it makes sense because bellamy can have chemistry with a brick wall i mean i get it but I used to think that it was Miller. Yeah. Who, it, it, the problem was him. The problem is not him. Well, I wonder if the problem is um, him when he, like, tries to be romantic, if it's just not coming across to me. And again, I feel like when I see Miller with his, like, romantic pairings, it's almost like, I, I feel like how other people must feel when they don't see Bellark, the way right. that we see Bellark. I just don't feel the chemistry and the tension um, in the way that I want to. And I like desperately, desperately want to because I love to ship. Give me anything and I will ship it. It takes a lot for me not to ship something. Well, it takes no chemistry is what it takes. That's what I'm saying. So like I I just, I loved Miller's and Bellamy's chemistry here. (laughs) Oh, I was like, I mean, if Clark were in here, I'd be down. (laughs) Can can Bellamy be by? Like (laughs) maybe Miller should just, maybe uh, he should just stop pretending to be in a romantic relationship. And then it'll work He just treats every person he's with like Bellamy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we see here that Octavia is already not willing to play nice with uh, Allegius. Although I have to say, Allegius has weapons. She noted them when they came down to rescue her. So her or Bellamy agreeing that they wouldn't bring weapons up is ridiculous. Like, yeah. that she would agree to that. Well, I she mean, didn't. like, the faith that Bellamy has in his plan is just so overly confident well the hypocrisy there too of like they can have weapons but you guys can't bring any weapons up you know yeah it's it's really unbelievable and we see um that not only is she not willing to play nice but octavia is not willing to defer to bellamy's control she's very much interested um and not following his lead she's not ready to give up a drop of her power and rush yeah. she um and yeah i think bellamy is also genuinely shocked at the fact that she's not following his lead and not deferring to him at all agreed bellamy needs to talk to octavia in private and he leaves octavia waits a few minutes more and then follows him they meet in an abandoned room and bellamy asks octavia to tell him about the fighting pit because it looks to him like someone's read ovid too many times a bit on the nose there bellamy (laughs) octavia says six years is a long time and she's changed Bellamy notes that they have a lot to talk about, and they do, but right now Octavia doesn't trust these people. Bellamy does neither, and he needs Octavia to trust him because they have leverage. Bellamy is a giant nerd. He just loves his Roman history. <laughs> too much, maybe. Too much. The fact that he, like, called that so spot on is hilarious to me. Yeah, he's a giant history yeah. dork, and I love it. <laughs> I did want to note here... And in like even in previous scenes, when Octavia is with Bellamy, she is in so many ways caught between the girl that she once was and the girl that she now is. Like, yeah. yes, she has changed, but I think Bellamy brings out that old girl in her for the better or for worse, you know, for better with them hugging for worse. We'll see later. Um, but I think she 
doesn't quite know how to interact with them anymore. She's not his blood Reina, so she kind of has to figure out a new way to connect with someone while still maintaining her own power. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Indra waits for Octavia to leave, and then he has. And then he ha- or blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Indra waits for Octavia to leave, and then has them bring Kane up. Abby comes up behind him. Kane hugs Clark, and Indra tells him to wait for night. And if he gets caught, she won't be able to help him. Dioza, watching from above, points out Abby to McCreary. So again, I, I do like here Indra willing to go against Octavia for Kane. Does it parallel back to her helping Lincoln back in, I think, season two to you? Yeah, it does. I think I, I, I like that this this kind of continuity issue um, with her being very, very loyal to one idea. But sometimes if, it, if her emotions come into it, she's willing to compromise her her loyalty for someone else. Yeah, I think, you know, there's like that old sort of... Um military sort of phrase where it's just like you know duty honor family and it's like a priority of like one of those things and I think most of the time duty is always first for her but Mm -hmm. then sometimes the priorities shift and like love or family like comes into play and it is interesting to see like where when and where those that shift happens yeah I also think it's really interesting that like Dioza has chosen this like most strategic position to watch over everything she's like a bird of prey up there she's just like surveying like the whole operation yeah Yeah. um it's also important to note that abby is the last person to come out of quote-unquote pandora's box uh, the bunker at least last person that we see and jason tweeted a kurt vonnegut quote that i didn't write down but it basically talks about when pandora opened the box all of these horrible things flew out and the last thing that flew out was hope so, like, she released all of these bad things, but there was one good thing at the end that came out that, you know, helps make up for all the bad things. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to me that Abby is the one that was the last person to come out that we see, because I think that is the writers kind of signaling to us in some way that Abby is going to bring hope. I think it, I think it actually means that there is still hope for Abby that she's like not completely foregone and that she can come back from. I really like that idea. My idea was a little bit more. (laughs) You're going to roll your eyes. No. Abby's the only one who can turn them all into nightbloods. They need to go to the planet. (laughs) Let it go. Like single minded. (laughs) Let it go. But I really like your idea that there's still hope for Abby. Um, And that hopefully means that she won't die at the end of the season. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is also a nod that she's, she's going to like her arc is actually going to get better where I think I still think Kane's going to die. I do too, but we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> Dioza asks Zeke what's taking him so long to get back into the Allegius ship, and Zeke says that the girl he's trying to hack is some kind of genius. Everything he thought of, she thought of first. She even had time to flip him the bird. I like that they're flirting, and they oh. don't even know that they're flirting. <laughs> oh, it's so good, guys. It's so <laughs> good. Like, thank you, the 100 writers. I just <laughs> deeply, deeply deeply appreciate this yeah like if you were writing for anyone out there like I appreciate you (laughs) like I see you and I appreciate you (laughs) Tioza asks Zeke what he's what is taking him oh I just read that uh sorry guys (laughs) it's getting late on a Sunday I need to eat 
Uh, Dioza worries that that means that Raven knows they're trying to get back in the ship. Dioza reminds Zeke to be careful. Those are their men up there. And Zeke says the prisoners are as snug as criminally insane bugs and hermetically sealed rugs. And as the phrase hermetically sealed uh, comes across, Dioza has an idea and orders Zeke to open the outer doors, which will kill Raven and Murphy, but not their people. Zeke doesn't like it, but he does it. I love that just like that, Dioza has figured out a solution that works for her. You know, she's so much like Clark. They're really evenly, perfectly matched. Yeah. This scene reminded me so much of Clark. It was like everything about it was just like, ooh, something said something. Someone said something. I have a new idea. My plan is in in play. Like, it was like bump, bump, bump. (laughs) Just like Clark. Yep. Murphy and Raven are playing soccer and having fun for once, (laughs) but that stops when the alarms start blaring. Raven realizes they're venting the oxygen to kill them, so it's time to pull the plug. Murphy asks how long it would take to put him and Raven in cryo, but Raven doesn't know how to do it. Raven says he has to pull the lever, and when he hesitates, Raven says she'll do it, but Murphy stops her, saying he's not ready to die quite yet. Um, also, just like a tiny note, we get the best description for Raven ever when Murphy calls her a monstrously hideous one-legged goalie. <laughs> it's incredible because obviously it's true. I mean, she's a hideous monster. I mean, what's so funny about it is that there's, it's like so far from the truth and Murphy doesn't feel bad saying it because he knows Raven is like very confident and like everything about herself even if she wasn't confident i mean it's just a fact she's gorgeous well if you if you aren't confident it's one thing but just the fact that raven is raven like this is just hilarious and it's just an offhand comment yeah like it's just a throwaway line i kind of wonder if he uh ad-libbed it i i don't think so but you know i wouldn't be shocked if he did it is also nice in this scene to see murphy being murphy again you know we see his survival instincts kick in we always say that if you want to survive, the first person you should pick is Murphy, and then well, you're not wrong. Clark, then Murphy. Well, <laughs> Clark isn't here. That's true. Uh, Zeke realizes that all the prisoners are waking up because Raven and Murphy opened the cryopods. Zeke says if they don't close their outer doors, Dioza's people are going to die too, to which she responds, Don't you mean our people, Lieutenant? Narrator's voice. He did not. No, he did not. <laughs> After a moment of hesitation, Dioza tells Zeke to close the doors, but she's glad that they're back in control and tells Zeke that his friend may be smart, but she is a coward. A live coward, Zeke mutters. So this is another way that we see that Zeke values life. I mean, he doesn't care that Raven took the coward's way out. You know, at least she's alive. And it's a huge contrast to Dioza, who, you know, after getting three gold stars for Valor, you know, is somebody who clearly values bravery and sacrifice and considers this a cowardly act but I think Zeke is just like she's alive what's the difference you know yeah I I think it's really interesting that Dioza thinks not killing 283 people is a cowardly act um yeah that that very much goes back into her like terrorist mind there yeah (laughs) on the Allegis ship the prisoners are waking up and they spot Raven and Murphy watching them in horror and as Raven says survival instincts suck okay and for me at this point, the prisoners don't know that Raven and Murphy are like the quote unquote bad guys. All they know is these people just woke them out of cryo sleep. So I'm a little confused about why they look like they're about to like jump Raven and Murphy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like this was what I was talking about with Kodiak last episode. I mean, they see, seem so hellbent on violence, like as a default setting. I mean, I know that they're violent criminals and that's fair, but even violent criminals like stop and ask for directions occasionally before just like attacking like a robot would so I don't know if there's like they've been fed like some sort of like 
super human i don't know know. weird stuff to make them like extra violent and irrational i mean for me i think kodiak it's very possible he was listening to them and like getting more information about them and then he chose to attack um but here they didn't have any time to listen or get any information they're just waking up i mean they're just waking up don't they have to pee i mean i just like (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they aren't like coming after Raven and Murphy. I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe maybe they're just like waking up yeah. and just looking mean. I don't. I don't know. I think they probably are coming after Raven and Murphy just because. That's I think show. that probably is the show. Yeah, but it doesn't quite make sense to me. I agree. In the Polis camp, McCreary is watching Abby, and a man comes over and notes that the bunker opening was a mistake because Octavia has brought up an army. The man, Sabunka, <laughs> that's his name, uh, notes that more people are loyal to McCreary than Dioza, and McCreary just has to say the word. But McCreary said it's not the right time yet and tells Sabunka not to do anything stupid. Dioza comes up ready to go and asks where Abby is, and suddenly McCreary realizes that Abby has disappeared. So we know that Zabunka is inevitably going to do something stupid yeah. here. Yeah, I mean. he seems stupid. Also, it's just more and more reinforcement that McCreary is the one with the loyalty of the fighting force. So I'm just, I'm very confused at the situation that has led to Dioza becoming the leader. Yeah, I know. I just have to know, what did you do to, to get in charge? I have to believe that Dioza is the one who masterminded the escape, um, the, the rebellion on the prison ship. Um and I'm assuming that's what kind of like made her the defunct the de facto leader. Um, but McCreary seems like he was more in the trenches with the actual people, with the actual prisoners. So that's why they're you know loyal to him. Yeah. I kind of wonder if maybe Dioza, in some way, was doing a special job and like wasn't really actively involved with a lot of the prisoners, or if she was like kept in solitary confinement. That's what I was thinking that she was in solitary. Which makes no sense to me, really. I mean, they're in space. That's about as solitary as you can get. But I don't know. I, I So I, I, mean, I think that maybe she isn't as involved with them as other people. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll find out. Clark unlocks Kane's cuffs, but Kane notes that the valley is apparently the only survivable place. So where will he and Abby go? Clark promises to try to reason with Octavia, but Abby says she won't be able to. But for Clark, that's tomorrow's problem. Today, they just have to stay out of sight. They hear an explosion back at camp, and Clark knows exactly what caused it. I love the way that Clark immediately takes charge here and prioritizes Kane and Abby's situation, you know, saying that the bigger issue is something that they can deal with tomorrow. It's one thing at a time. It just shows how her mind works and how good she is at, you know, focusing on a singular problem at a time and compartmentalizing, which we've talked about a lot last season. You yeah. know, she's really good at it. Honestly, it's really, really hilarious to me that Clark thinks that she can reason with Octavia because, like, even before Octavia was the Bloodrena, when has she ever, in her life, ever been reasonable? Never. Never. No, that was, like, I almost felt like Clark was just saying that to, like, shut Kane and Abby up. Like, it's fine. We'll deal with that later. I'll reason with Octavia. Like, no, you won't. Yeah. No, you won't. And if anyone's going to reason with her, it wouldn't be Clark. (laughs) No. No. I do think, I mean, like... For all we're joking about Clark and Octavia, I do think that Octavia respects Clark quite a lot. I don't know if Octavia or if Clark has the same respect for Octavia, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no. I don't think there's bad blood between them. Yeah. Um, I just don't think they particularly like each other. They've always been very, very different people. And, you know, now that Octavia has become who she's become, she's... Definitely not Clark, but she's most she's much closer to Clark. Um, the kinds of decisions that she's making and the the people that she's sacrificing. Yeah. Um. So I'm wondering if this season will get 
we'll see them like come together a little bit more. Um, probably not. But. Probably not. I think that Bellamy is the sticking point. And I think they care about Bellamy so much that there is a lot of baggage that they consider with the other one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've seen Octavia hurt Bellamy a lot. Yeah. And I think Clark is defensive about that. And I think, again, Octavia has seen Bellamy get hung up over Clark and make <laughs> bad decisions. Yeah. Um, and I think she is defensive and resents that. So I don't, again, I don't think there's bad blood between them, but I don't think they're ever going to be friends. No. N- never friends. Never but friends. I was wondering more if Octavia would see why Clark has done some of the things that she's done. Maybe. A little bit clearer. Back at camp, a fountain has been blown up by the energy cannon, and Dioza notes that it was only at half power. If anyone goes for a weapon, she'll show them what full power does to human flesh. Ha ha ha. Bellamy is furious and threatens to make his call, which Dioza tells him to try. But when he tries to connect Raven over the radio, he gets nothing. I'm a little confused here. Does Raven no longer have the radio? Are we assuming that the prisoners have, like, taken her into custody? Yes, I think that's what we're supposed to assume. I, mean, I, I know I, I know we're supposed to assume that, but I still, it doesn't make sense to me, and I'll stop being hung up on it because it's not that big of a deal, but I yeah, feel like I Raven think... could have, like, Raven and Murphy could have run. It's a big ship, you know? <laughs> well, maybe she, like, they, like, the alarm, they were playing soccer and the alarms were blasting, so, like, maybe she left the, the radio at the bridge maybe they were, oh that's they true. were like in the hallway playing and so then they just like ran to the to the prisoners um, i still feel like raven could have found a way to lock the prisoners in the cryo room like even if they're awake i mean raven is raven you're telling me you can't lock one door raven i'm sure I, she like, could we have to let it go <laughs> let it go um one thing to note in this scene bellamy's plan has failed as we knew it would, you know, he is good, but he's not good enough to outsmart Dioza, and we we need Clark. <laughs> we need Clark. <laughs> uh, and speaking of Clark, yeah. Dioza asks Clark where her mother is, but Octavia says that she's their doctor, and Dioza can't have her. The guy with the energy cannon really has something to prove and wants to shoot Octavia. Before they can come to blows, Abby comes out with Kane and says she'll come with them as long as they take Kane too. Those are her terms. And Dioza sees where Clark gets it from. <laughs> like mother, like daughter. Yeah. Clark and Abby have a lot in common. They are very similar. Um, I think that's why they, they haven't always gotten along and why <laughs> Clark spent so much time resenting Abby for her choices. I think Clark sees a lot of herself in Abby and it's a ugly truth that she doesn't always like to face in herself. Um, so yeah, it's an astute observation, Dioza. They are very similar. Agreed. And I'm, I'm hoping that maybe this season as we've kind of heard with Clark now being a mother that she can kind of come to terms with the things that her mother did for her yeah um and and, and I hope forgive they can come her a little bit yeah forget well I think I think she's I've, okay forgiven her but I want her to understand those choices yeah more. and I I want her to forgive not from a place of just wanting to simply reconnect but forgiving like as you said because she like fully understands the depth of of the consequences of those decisions mm-hmm. I also wonder if Octavia knows how Kane got free. Like, does she suspect Indra at all, or is she pretty much confident about Indra's total loyalty? I think she's suspicious. Like, Octavia is not stupid. Yeah. Um, and I think she has seen Indra do this before, like you said with Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not too far of a stretch. I am not sure. I don't think she's suspicious of Indra. I think Indra's been very clear to hide what she's doing from Octavia. And I think Octavia at this point is very willing to even throw away people that she cares about if they don't 
follow one crew's rules yeah so i think maybe it's not clear to her yet but i think at some point it will become clear maybe and deep down i think indra would be the first person that she suspects yeah well indra is the only one who can really make it happen yeah. you know i also D- like that um the writers show that each leader dioza and octavia both recognize the strategic advantage of having a doctor you know like we were saying they are they are also really really well matched um and they both have this sort of like military perspective that not a lot of the other characters share so it's interesting to see dioza sort of fighting on both fronts and she's excellent in in both yeah i mean i i don't think dioza sees necessarily a strategic advantage i think they need a doctor clearly and McCreary killed there so good on you McCreary um and with Octavia I mean they they already have another one they have Jackson but for her it's like she's mine and you can't have her (laughs) it's more of like not wanting to give up anything um than like the strategic advantage of it yeah for me that makes sense Diosa says the valley is theirs and any attempt from Brunker crew to get there will be met by overwhelming force as long as they stay here there won't be a problem Bellamy asks what will happen to Raven and Murphy, and Dioza says that they are insurance for now. She orders her men to come, but Sabunka shoots the cannon at Octavia anyway. Ah, Sabunka. One of the bunker crew sacrifices himself for Octavia, and Dioza, furious, calls all of her men and women back to the ship immediately. It's really, really nice to see what the energy cannon does to human flesh because we didn't see that earlier with Clark and Maddie thank god (laughs) uh it's beautiful and it reminded me of this book that I'm gonna do a shameless plug for because I edit it but it's called This Mortal Coil by Emily Suveda um people blow up in it that's all I'm gonna say guys (laughs) yeah she's the only person I know that would be like wow there's like burning human flesh and it's beautiful it's interesting it's interesting and this mortal coil also has a lot of common themes with this show it does sarah likes her shows and her books in the same way yeah i i i'm pretty predictable yeah she has a brand and she sticks to it um i thought it was really important to note in this scene that octavia tells her people to stand down and they listen to her and that seconds later sabunka fires right after dioza also told them to stand down i mean it's it's clear that of the two of them octavia has complete control over her people and dioza barely has control over her people i mean they're hanging on by like a thread yeah i mean jumping off of this octavia has such total loyalty that one of her people just jumps in front of her protector without even thinking and gets exploded so. right it it's amazing the level of control yeah and loyalty that she gets from them but i think that that was born through blood and fire so yeah it's a high price to pay <laughs> As the Allegius ship dropship leaves, Zeke asks what the hell happened. Dioza says they just started a war and tells Zeke to blow missiles into the crowd in Bunker. At hearing this, Abby and Kane start protesting and are escorted out, and Zeke says their missiles are to break up asteroids, not crowds, but Dioza says they have no choice now because Bunker crew will retaliate. And okay, this also makes no sense to me because there's no version of this where Bunker crew could have survived at the valley because... That's why they were having a hard time surviving and had to call the population what they had down there. It wasn't enough to sustain them for longer than, you know, five-ish years. Um, so they can't just keep, like, living in the bunker. They they have to go to the valley. Either way, they were going to come and try to take it. So if Dioza was willing to wait before, why isn't she willing to wait now? I don't know. I have no answer for this. I think it's a great point. And again, I feel like the writers are, like, missing something here. Yeah. And I don't see it. 
I don't know. It's just very again more like hand wavy things. Yes, it's a lot of it's a lot of plot like happening yeah. here. Anyway, Zeke begs her to rethink her order because there are now probably less than fifteen hundred people left in the human race. McCreary points at the gun at him, uh, but Zeke says he can't shoot him because he's flying the ship, and without him, they all die. Dioza won't relent, and although Zeke thinks it's a mistake, he types in the missile code. But the code isn't valid. Dioza thinks Raven must have jammed it, and she decides they're going back to the Eulegia ship to get her. Before they leave, McCreary shoots Sabunka, telling Dioza that they have 283 more. So here we see another example um, that Zeke values human life, all human life. And he's also thinking about this in a sort of scientific way, in a long-term you know, capacity about the survival of their species. It's very unlike Zioza, who just doesn't seem pre- preoccupied by the survival of their race at all. I was interested to note, too, that McCreary is the one who punishes Sabunka. Like, it doesn't seem like Dioza was going to do anything. No. Um, Maybe she just assumed that McCreary would handle it. Maybe, but she seemed surprised by what he did. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of wonder if that's one of the reasons why she doesn't have that loyalty. She's not following through on her position as a leader, you know? Yeah. Like, if they disobey her, what is she yeah, doing? Yeah, she's to, not punishing them. Yeah. Maybe. Um, maybe. And also, we're all in agreement that Zeke's the one who changed the launch code, right? Yeah. Do you think that he changed it, like, right now or earlier in preparation for this? I don't know. That's a good question. A part of me thinks he did it now because he was really surprised mm-hmm. that she was like, okay, blow the valley. Um, or not the valley. Blow them up. Yeah. And I think he was just like, oops, changed the launch code. Gosh, it's the wrong code. Like that what? damn That's raven. That's so weird. Son of a gun. <laughs> That's so raven. <laughs> I feel like he did it earlier because we saw that scene what were they talking about? It was when Dioza was explaining her plan to McCreary about like getting the doctor and then killing them and like getting their people. Yeah. And Zeke, we saw in the background, was kind of like, oh yeah, he was them. really shifty. I feel like he at that point was like, I'm gonna just like take away some of this like weapony type things and yeah. hopefully I'm gonna defuse the defuse situation. the situation before we even get to the situation. Yeah. Um, I just don't think he had enough time to do it right now. Yeah. I mean, I think either way though. But changed, either way, yeah, he, he changed did the it. launch codes. He did it. <laughs> as Indra carries Octavia to get medical attention Octavia sees Bellamy and tells him that she trusted him and it's all his fault Mila asks Bloodrena what they do now and Octavia says they go to war Bellamy and Clark look at each other welcome back to the ground guys <laughs> I mean I'm just it's so irritating to see Octavia revert to this behavior of blaming Bellamy I mean how are we still here we should have been past this by now and it just, it's so clear to me that Octavia is having a really hard time taking personal responsibility for things. And, you know, I think that ties into like how emotionally disconnected she is to everything. I mean, she just can't face these like, you know, if she takes, if she takes an inner look at this one thing and like her complicity in it, mm-hmm. then she'd have to take stock of her complicity in everything that's happened. And I think that's like too overwhelming for her and it's easier to blame Bellamy. With that said, like honey you are blood Rena. like he you can't it's not all his fault well that's the thing about being a leader and I couldn't tell where I've heard this from but like when you're the leader everyone underneath you like the bad things they do it's all your fault yeah um and not that not that Bellamy is like underneath her he's not like part of her people really 
but she has never been able to take responsibility for her own issues. No. Um, and I think that Bellamy brings out that bad side of her, that like little kid side about petulant, petulant like you're the cause of all of my pain. Yeah. You've ruined my life. It's just, she sounds like a toddler. She does. And, you know, I I completely understand this. When I go back home to LA where I grew up and I'm with my siblings, I have two of them. We, all of us, we, we, I mean, like, I love my siblings dearly. We get along very, very well. But there is this, like, mental change that happens when you go back to the place where you grew up and, like, your, your, psychology that you had when you were a child Mm -hmm. and I I can totally understand why she like reverts a little bit when she's around him and he just brings it out in her but that's not an excuse and I'm really really hoping that Bellamy finally is able to stand up for himself yeah I would really like to see him shed that like half semi-father semi-older brother um responsibility that he feels for her and just says enough is enough like you have to take responsibility for yourself yeah. and I can't be the one to help you. I I mean, I'm really frustrated just because I've seen this. We've seen this for five seasons now. I'm yeah. sick of it. Like, I let's the, move past it. The only reason they would do it again is to give Bellamy the opportunity to defend himself yeah. finally and stand up for himself. So if that's the direction they're going in, then that's fine and I can, like, live with it. But if it's just to rehash what we've seen over and over again where Bellamy, like takes her criticism at face value and like believes what she's saying here which is not true and then punishes himself for it again I'm just like not interested in seeing that again at all I I do have to hope they're moving past that and I I mean I think what's irritating to me is nothing has changed in six entire years yeah but I wasn't satisfied last season about the way that Octavia's and Bellamy's relationship issues were handled and um like tied up and like a little bow I didn't think that it frustrated me that that Octavia even though she forgave him didn't seem to understand her own role in the issue and her own um complicity complicity um and really the fact that yes Bellamy was responsible for some of the things but she also was and she did horrible things to him yeah and she never apologized yeah that's what I'm saying like I never felt like she understood her role in it yeah, um and so maybe this this plot line this season is for her to come to understand her own role in it I really hope so. I hope so um it is also weird to me to see Miller calling Octavia Bladrena because Miller has always been Bellamy's kind of right-hand man in many ways. And, yeah. And to, like, see him, Miller, having switched his loyalty to Octavia is just very strange. Yeah, I wonder if it'll stick. I do think it will stick. I, I mean, well, I mean, I think it will stick to, like, a certain point. I think that he is going to continue to be loyal to one crew, um, and Octavia is going to continue to lead one crew, so he will be loyal to her. Maybe. I think I think Indra has had a lot of impact on, on Miller. It seems like Miller and Indra are kind of working closer together than ever before, and I like this idea that Indra's been a bit of a mentor for him as well. I like that idea too, but I also think about Jackson, and his, I don't think that he is a fan of Octavia at all, and I think the second that you know there is room to get away from her or like challenge her I think he would want Miller to 
to help with that. Yeah, I don't think that there will be any room. I think the central conflict of the season is those two opposing forces. Yeah. And I don't think that Miller would, like, defect to the other team. No, I, so. I just meant that, like, if Bellamy and Clark had an ulterior plan, or, I'm sorry, oh, an alternate yeah. plan, like, Jackson would obviously side with Bellamy and Clark, and I think Miller would go with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see Miller's arc over this season um and where he ends up i know that there's an episode coming up called i'm gonna screw this up but it's like six semper tyrannus i don't uh-huh. know how to pronounce that um which a lot of people have theorized is about octavia's kind of tyranny over these people so maybe that will be kind of a turning point for for miller as well um to maybe try to overthrow her or or something i don't know i don't know i guess we'll see um but poor bellamy and clark the break's over you've had your nice six years of algae and living in the nice valley with the little girl and the yeah and you got a 30 whole seconds of hanging out with a (laughs) hug so you know it's time it's time (laughs) (laughs) so that is our episode um a couple of discussion points we want to go over before we wrap this up Let's talk about our favorite lines like we always do. What was yep. your favorite line? My favorite line, line was every single thing Murphy said this episode. <laughs> um, but specifically, I really loved, and they call me the cockroach in reference to um, him finding out that Clark was still alive. Because I just like how how like proud and relieved he was that Clark survived all of those years. Mm-hmm. He was just like, that's my girl, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's just like a proud papa. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also picked a Murphy quote. There was a lot this episode but the best one by far was it's nice to meet you we're not bad people we're not bad people the delivery of this was so perfect and it was so ironic for Murphy to be saying that they're not the bad people I mean he's certainly not good um it was just great it was it was a wonderful line and it it killed me yeah tying into that my favorite scene is the reunion scene between um Clark Craven and, and Murphy I just I've been waiting for it and it it was it was good <laughs> <laughs> it was good my favorite scene was the coding war scene between Raven and Zeke Ugh. that was thrilling and also good <laughs> wonderful and it was fun we don't get a lot of fun on this mm-hmm. show but that was fun I like the the matching wits over the internet yes. <laughs> basically yes a battle of wits yes uh, so the next episode is called Shifting Sands. The definition of this is a situation that changes so often that it's difficult to deal with. And honestly, isn't that basically just a word to describe this entire show? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's also a nice nod to the fact that they now have to cross a giant desert. Oh, yeah. So wink, wink. There will be sand. <laughs> there will be lots of sand. Um, um, yeah. yeah. So that is our show. Um, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at SkyCast. And you can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman 89 And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. So thank you for joining us as always on SkyCast. You know, next episode will be on time. We promise. It Uh, will happen. (laughs) So thank you and see you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.